is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. What's going on? What's going on? We are back on Let Your Voice so, Be Heard. Where I'm yelling at Stanley, because next week we're going to hopefully be back on the radio where the FCC is not going to allow us to use the FCC, square up, King. <laughs> oh, my God. Good morning, you guys. And welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk politics, social issues, Stanley's anger management, as well as how Republicans are still racist. Every Sunday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And, um... Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another thing. You know, uh, Selena thinks it's called EDT. I'm not sure what EDT is. No, I've heard that before, too, actually. Yeah, no, yeah, no. EDT's a real thing. Yeah, but no, it's EST, which is Eastern Standard Time, or Daylight Savings Time, which it is not right now. Mm. So... Oh, so it's not EDT. Sorry about that. Anyway. Um, Yeah, guys, so welcome to the show. We really appreciate you guys, everyone who's tuning in via Facebook Live. Or if you happening, if you happen to be listening post show via podcast on Spotify or our iHeartRadio, we appreciate you as well. My name is Selena Hill on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Miss Selena Hill. And just FYI slash TMI, I have two less wisdom teeth. Um, one week closer <laughs> to my birthday, and my hair is shorter. So it's been a while. It's been a oh, while, and I, I lost a lot of things, you know? I lost teeth, I lost hair, so. You lost problematic relationships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what, I'm going to not say what I was about to say right now. What? What are you going to say? What? I will say it off the air. Not appropriate. <laughs> oh. You know, yeah. Stanley knows now. I get you. Well, you know what, guys? Who cares about Selena's beautiful hair and her wonderful job? I do. I this is Stanley Fritz. Like I'm beautiful. <laughs> I'm handsome. This is our last Sunday in Aww. the makeshift studio. Maybe. Actually, Maybe. Allegedly. I've actually enjoyed it here. I really have. I, can, I have no complaints whatsoever, guys. But if you want to follow me and talk to me more, besides us being at the WHCR studio, you can always do that on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can also do that on Instagram at Stan Fritz where I post a lot more than I was maybe six months ago and of course on Facebook at Stanley Fritz but just remember if you report my page and I get suspended for another week we have beef oh yeah and um, well before I tell you who I am I just want to say shout out to Jackie Combe we really miss you today we hope you feel better get yeah, well soon definitely um, but anyways in the meantime while I'm not shouting out our, our sick colleagues mm-hmm. um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs I am talking legal things to you you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs that's Alyssa with an I I-L-Y-S-S-A-F-U-C-H-S, if you nasty. I got my name right this week. Oh, did you? <laughs> you did last week. I did. Or you can find me on uh, Instagram at Alyssa.Fuchs or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs. So, yes. So you know, we have. Consistent, yeah, sort no. of. Did you get yeah. information, Selena? Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. oh, I gave, oh, I gave some to you, my information. Yo, I had a wild. How much you guys weekend? My weekend was a little bit interesting. Well, how much did you have to drink last night? Honestly? <laughs> I didn't drink anything at all. Um, I was um, I spent all of Saturday cleaning, and I thought it was gonna be an hour well, that's job. That's what they're calling it these days, right? Cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> I cleaned my kitchen and I cleaned my um, living room, and you then I cleaned the bathroom. Marilyn? No, she was at work. Oh, okay. So I actually was cleaning, and I was like, oh, this was like an hour. And I was also watching the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch as I was cleaning, and actually I used to really love that good. show. No, you would hate this show, Selena. Oh, the, they revamped it? Yeah, it goes against all your Christian sensibilities. It's about, like, straight-up devil worshiping. Stop, Stanley. No, I'm serious. It says, is it, aren't they targeting, like, children and teens? No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> it's great, though. I love it. You know, speaking of um, sensibilities, has anybody watched any of the new South Park? 
No, you know, a lot I, of people didn't even know there was a new season. I, I watched the first three episodes. So I sort of have mixed feelings about it because, like, I don't know, coming off of, like, the last season where they were, like, satirizing the whole, like, Trump thing and the mm-hmm. whole, like, member berries, and then this season just feels, like, sort of blah, um, where, like, nothing really connects together and there's, like, no theme, and I sort of... Like, I don't know. It's sort of disappointing, but they did do this scathing episode about the Catholic Church, which is what your comments oh, reminded yeah, me of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that episode I actually really liked, although one of my friends um, who's very Catholic was sort of offended by it. Well, stop but I mean, like, South Park specializes in offending. I mean, it's comedy. No, like, no. Sorry, go ahead, Selena. No, and I was going to say, like, it sort of reminds me of SNL. So, like, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the saga, but Pete Davidson, he actually, he made, like, some insulting comments about a Republican who was elected to Congress who was a war hero and lost his eye. Mm -hmm. So, last night, after, like, Pete made this off-center joke about him losing his eye, they actually invited him to the show at SNL. He apologized to him, and then, all of a sudden... The Republicans' phone started ringing, mm-hmm. and it was um, the ringtone was Ariana Grande. <laughs> so like, and he was like, he was so he was just like, are you gonna answer that? He's like, nah, I'm gonna just let her ring out. Oh. <laughs> so it was like super petty, but super cool. Yeah, no, that's actually it. funny. Yeah. It was. It was like really funny. But no, speaking of like weekends, I also did a lot of adulting. I cooked. I you cleaned. First of all, so you're not you're not gonna do that. I'm you're not gonna do that right now. <laughs> what I do, I do not know how to do. Stays here. Okay. <laughs> and you back to that original comment I was gonna make earlier. It stays on Facebook Live. <laughs> yeah. Basically, right. so I just want to shout out to everyone who has been adulting and ate her nasty cooking. Silly. <laughs> That's not nice. I bet you she still doesn't put you know raisins in her potato salad. Oh, because well, she's not white. She automatically knows how to season food. What did you cook? <laughs> just breakfast. But it counted. Yeah, she made some paprika on that egg. What, what did you make? I just made French toast, eggs, and turkey Whoa, bacon. No, I made French right. toast. Look at you, sis. Brunch <laughs> <laughs> party at Selena's? Okay, cool. Next week. No, but she doesn't have no alcohol. B-Y-O-B. <laughs> That's what I was just about to say. Bring your own beer. But um, bring your own booze. Nobody's drinking beer at 11 a.m. at yeah, brunch. Yeah. I wouldn't know. That's oh, all yeah, the you would know. All right, but... Speaking of that, so we actually have a great show lined up today. We're going to be talking about a lot of the tragedies that have been happening in our nation. So it's nice to start off on a nice, positive, fluffy note, right? Yeah. It all goes downhill from here. Yeah, it all goes downhill from here. So, I mean, a number of tragedies have been happening in Thousand Oaks. California from the shooting to the fact that it's on fire. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Bernie Sanders, who is our favorite Republic, like, excuse me, our favorite white man who says problematic stuff, like, all the time when it comes to it. Well, he is mine. He is mine. (laughs) Stanley definitely took offense to some of the comments Bernie Sanders said in the past week. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Ruth Bader, who took a fall and like scared the heck out of so many Americans because she decided, I'm, but she's back now. She's back, but she broke the ribs. Bad timing, bad timing. You're just giving all the news oh. right now. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just and scared then, the heck further. So many Americans. And then we're gonna have a larger conversation about the midterm elections. Now, I know a lot of you voted this time, maybe for the first time in a midterm election, Mm -hmm. and we want you to understand how and why it was so important. Your vote did matter, 
and we're going to talk about how those votes, how your vote is going to affect us yeah. all in our everyday lives. So definitely tune in for that. And of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, keep those comments flowing on our Facebook Live. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. And you can also leave comments if you're listening via podcast. All right, all right, all right. By the way, Catherine Marrow, I'll see you online. Thank you for watching. Greg, thank you for watching. Shout Always out to Greg. Appreciate people who are watching and supporting us. And if you don't watch us and support us, then I don't appreciate you. <laughs> Pretty so, much. guys, it's now time for the news roundup. Yeah. This is where we're at. You know the drill. Things that make you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or go into your signal group chat and say something that could be considered a bad thing, but no one knows because it's in signal. So, Anything like that. Let's talk about it. What do you have for me, Selena? So I'm going to start off with Jeff Sessions, who, what, a day after the midterm elections, was forcefully removed from his position as Attorney General. Now we know Jeff Sessions has had a strong problematic history of uh, saying racist things and also implementing racist practices and policies. He's used that platform to do that and to also... Um, continue to marginalize like uh, black and brown people, especially immigrants. So he's out. But the thing is, I don't really know if Jeff Sessions being removed from his position is a good thing because the white man who's replacing him is a vocal Trump supporter, number one, and he also has said he's publicly proclaimed how he would stifle, stifle the Mueller investigation. Like he's literally said, like, I would just retract the resources if I happen to be attorney general mm -hmm. and now he is so Alyssa is Jeff Sessions being fired a good thing or a bad thing for us you know look I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question because it could be either way you know like on one hand it could be a good thing that he got fired um, because you know like, I don't know, he had done it, he had finished out whatever role he was supposed to play. It could be a bad thing because of the Mueller investigation, but the thing that I actually found so striking about um, the Sessions firing slash resigning um, wasn't how it affects the Mueller investigation, it's what he did as his last act on the way out, yeah. um, and that was he basically told the federal government and the Department of Justice to not enforce consent decrees between the federal government and police departments that have been under investigation for problematic and racist policing practices. Like, for example, in Ferguson, Missouri, in Chicago, Illinois. That was literally his last act as Attorney General, to screw over um, civil rights. I mean, and not that he hasn't been trying to screw over people's civil rights the entire time he's been Attorney General, yeah. um, but everybody seemed to have focused on how this affects the Mueller investigation, and look, that is a concern. Uh, but now that, you know, the Democrats are going to be taking over the House, that may be less so much of a concern because there's going to be a lot more things that Democrats can do um, in order to investigate Trump and his connections to Russia, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that, like, Jeff Sessions' last act is to literally screw people over when it comes to policing, um, like, I think is sort of what got lost in the conversation about his firing. Yeah, so before I answer, I want to shout out Darlene and Joan, who I just saw got on Facebook Live. Thank you for watching. We replaced one racist and put, him, put another racist in there. Okay. Jeff Sessions' life dream has been to disenfranchise and attack black people, and he got to do that for a year and a half. And now he's lost that job, but he's got to maybe hopefully um, set, the, set the path to killing more black people before he leaves. He feels good. And now we have somebody in here who is going to do Donald Trump's, um, you know, 
bidding and potentially as the quote-unquote top cop in the country be going after activists like myself well i'm not i'm an organizer but going after activists be going after the press be going after people that trump considers enemies and then of course be trying to kill the Mueller investigation which we know could be finalizing and finishing up any day now mm -hmm. there was a rumor that it was going to be done this wednesday and donald trump jr was going to be indicted so we don't know what's going to happen Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, one racist is gone. But it's so this week has been so bananas. That's not even the biggest story of the week. That's what blows my mind about all this. Yeah. Uh, well, well, Stanley, for you, the biggest story of the week was what? Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, yeah. tell us why that was the biggest story for you out of everything that happened. So because it's the biggest story for me out of everything that happened besides our main topic is because it's a listen. What did I, Bernie Sanders say? Bernie Sanders said there were a lot of white people in the Midwest and in Florida and in Georgia who did not want to vote for Stacey Abrams or Andrew Gillum or any other black candidate because they were black. They were uncomfortable voting for them because they were black. And that doesn't make them racist. And we have to have a conversation about that. And that really pissed me off because no, if you don't want to vote for somebody because of the color of their skin, you are a racist, period. If like, if, if Melissa was running for mayor and I said, I, she's cool, but I don't want to vote for her because she's Jewish, that's anti, that's anti-Semitic. And what Bernie Sanders is doing, or what he has consistently done, and what the media has consistently done, and everybody is, ever since Trump has been elected, we've been trying to cape and speak up for these white people who don't give a crap about anybody that doesn't look like them. And these are the same white people that call cops on black kids for selling lemonade. These are the same white people that shoot unarmed black people. These are the same white people who thought we were all crazy for being upset about kids being separated from their families because they were not white. And I don't understand what we need to do to get through people's heads that these white people are not our friends. And if you're defending them, you are an enemy to me because you're putting black bodies on the line. Well, before Alyssa uh, chimes in, I just I have the direct quote here. This is what Bernie Sanders said to the Daily Beast in an interview. He said, you know, there are a lot of white folks out there who are not necessarily racist, who felt uncomfortable for the first time in their lives about whether or not they wanted to vote for an African-American. He has since walked those comments back and clarified it in an interview, I think, with NPR to say that, you know, it's it's like Stanley said, like you can't really say you're uncomfortable wounding for a black person, but you're not racist. I guess what Bernie was trying to say, like it's a, a form of implicit bias or maybe people aren't uh, familiar or comfortable with groups or people who look different from them. Look, I think what his initial comment that people were uncomfortable voting for, for black people, he's probably right about. There are probably white people yeah. that are uncomfortable voting for black people. It's the second part of the comment that's problematic, is that doesn't make them racist. And, you know, look, I, I, that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. Uh, because I don't know if, just, you know, I, I sort of agree with you, Stanley. If you're like, oh, I'm not going to vote for Alyssa because she's Jewish, then, like, that's anti-Semitic. So if you're like, well, I don't feel comfortable voting for this person because of their race, their religion, their sexuality, like, that inherently makes you anti that person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to your point, Selena, I don't know because these same people voted for Barack Obama, didn't they? Not so, all like, of them. All right, but, but like some of them. Yeah, like, there are racists who had black nannies and liked them. Oh, yeah, that doesn't course. mean anything. You know, like, George Bush was such an atrocious president, there really wasn't much left to do. He almost broke the entire world's economy. So, yeah, that created an atmosphere where racist white people could be like, damn, I gotta vote for the N-bomb because the other <laughs> option isn't too good. But, like, let's be real about this. You know, 
Sorry, Selena, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Stan, finish your point. My, my thing is, we all know that there are white people that don't feel comfortable voting for black people or don't want to vote for black people because they're black. And we all know that that's racist. The problem is, Bernie walked back those comments. How many times has he walked back the comment where he was caping for white people at the expense of black people? This is how he feels. He was, when, when Trump won the election, he goes, I'm mad because the Democratic Party can't talk to my people. And Trump can. When we all know Trump used racism. So what are you saying, Bernie? Right, and, here, and just to clarify the statements that I made about Bernie, like, I've been rooting for him. I voted for him in the primary. I understand that throughout his long 50-year career in politics, he has made a number of statements that were questionable, problematic, or flat-out racist. And the thing is, because I agreed with so many other of his policies and platforms, this is really disappointing. Like, the thing is, I'm, I was rooting for Bernie Sanders to run again in 2020. To me, like, I feel like he was a candidate that could speak to not just progressives, but other people in the country. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, you know, like, all this, right, it's a double-edged sword, and I think it's a way to keep us divided, right? And, like, that's the same thing. And just to switch gears a little, that's what's going on with the Alyssa Milano situation right oh, now. Oh, yes. Which is the other story we won't want to talk about, which is, you know, there has been this now um, division, supposedly, within the Women's March, which is now Alyssa Milano saying she doesn't want to be part of the Women's March because um, Linda and Tamika's connection with uh, with uh, Farrakhan, and then Linda and Tamika have now come out yesterday, were essentially saying, like, you know, this is the right trying to divide us. And that, I think, sort of goes in some ways back to, and that was, like, legit a comment that they made, like, not to focus on this. This goes back to this whole point, which is when we're sitting here arguing about who said what and who's hanging with who, we are not focusing on the fact that Republicans are running roughshod over all of us when it comes to things on, you know, right. climate, voting, so many other issues. Like, but, and yes, we should talk about these issues, but like, we cannot let the right continue to divide us by trying to drive wedges between our movements. Just to clarify what Alyssa was saying, because you may have missed this story uh, in, in light of everything that's been happening. So Alyssa Milano, she's an actress, she's uh, in the Me Too movement, she has been associated in line with the Women's March, uh, and she was particularly doing a lot of activism around Brett Kavanaugh's uh, hearing. So it turns out that she has distanced herself from the Women's March and said that she's not going to march in January because Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsour, who are leaders in the Women's March, have praised Lu uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan and have defended him. And we know that him, as a Muslim leader, he has made a number of uh, anti-Semitic remarks, homophobic remarks. I mean, he's, he said a lot of things. And I mean, it's like Stanley. I definitely want to get your input on this because you are, you know, a member of the New York Justice League. And to me, Minister Farrakhan almost parallels with Bernie Sanders because they stand for a lot of good, but from time to time, they say, they say a lot of things that are divisive and problematic. So where do you stand? So first off, Alyssa, you didn't have a problem being with Linda and Tamika when they, you were all in D.C. fighting against Kavanaugh. They didn't benefit you, but now all of a sudden you want to act funny style. Um, Farrakhan that's, and that's Sanders are not the same people. So let me tell you how white people work. Sorry, white supremacy. No offense to my white allies. Rest you, I can kick rocks. Let me show you how whiteness works. <laughs> White pe whiteness is having a crazy uncle who you know says racist things and just laughing it off. But then also knowing that racist uncle is a police officer and then electing that racist uncle into office. And that racist uncle becomes Donald Trump. And then apologizing for that person's racism and not standing up. 
for, for your comrades or the people you say you support. Louis Farrakhan is a manifestation of all the anger and rage towards white supremacy. He has no power. He has no access. And we have not, and Tamika, nor Linda, nor Carmen, has made any effort to amplify him or give him any power to do anything. Right? That's the difference. If Alyssa is so frustrated about anti-Semitism, why hasn't she said a damn thing about Benjamin Netanyahu and Israel pretty much curving their Jewish, their Jewish veteran out here in the United States after this anti-Semitic attack at the synagogue a couple weeks ago when Netanyahu's people was defending Trump. And then just like one more piece to it is before anybody gave a damn about black and Latino people in these communities, before Alyssa Milano gave a damn about Black Lives Mattering or any of these white women were saying anything about, oh, trust white, trust black women and then putting on their pink pussy hats and going to vote for Republicans, before any of that crap happened, the only people who were in our communities doing any kind of work, working with our formerly incarcerated, were the Nation of Islam. And you know what? Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semitic person, but the people in the Nation of Islam are usually formerly incarcerated people, people who studied religion of Islam, trying to get their lives together in suits, selling bean pies, educating the community. So it's very hard for me to be like, I disavow Farrakhan or be mad at Tamika or Linda or Carmen to, for not disavowing Farrakhan when all he's done is talk crazy and they've given him no platform to do so, but his people have protected us. His people educate our community. His people have come up with diversion plans to get people off drugs. His people provide security. Meanwhile, Alyssa Milano is looking the other way while her racist uncle shoots a black person in the back. I mean, look, I, I just, the other thing I want to add to that, I, I don't, just going off of that, because I, I don't really have a response to you directly, which is, like, Linda is a friend of mine. I know Linda. I know you know Linda. And, uh, and I'm Jewish. And one thing I can say is Linda is not anti-Semitic. Um, you know, I've known Linda for a long she's time. She's been on the show. In fact, she's been on our show. She helped to raise a ton of money to go to Pittsburgh after the shooting that happened in Pittsburgh two weeks ago and tried to mobilize people to stand in solidarity with Jews and against anti-Semitism. So, you know, again, this goes back to my initial comments about divide and conquer. The right, what they want is to try and divide people on the left. They don't want Jewish people and Muslim people working together. They don't want black people and white people working together. They don't want you and I, Stanley, to be yeah. friends because when we are friends, when we work together, we can mobilize against the policies on the right. Whether that be policies that are, you know, racist or policies that are, um, you know, economically bad for working people. When we fight, we can't work together, and that's ultimately what the right wants. And that's why, you know, at this, at some point, we have to say, like. We're not going to let them continue to try and divide us. We have to work, continue to work together regardless of what these people say. Then tell why you would get that stuff together. No, I agree. I agree. And I do. I mean, I don't need an invitation, but you know that. Uh, so do we have any comments? Um, we do, actually. Um, well, uh, hold on one second. Let me just pull them up. So yeah. Catherine says um, she wasn't invited to speak at the march. I believe that's a comment about Alyssa Milano. Yeah. Elaine says um, she hails the minister. I think she was making that comment in respect to um, when Stanley was saying that he helps the community. He helped to, you know, you know, feed and clothe and help formerly incarcerated people. So look, you know, at the end of the day, this all goes back to that concept we talk about when we talk about elections. Not everybody that you agree with on certain things is going to be your perfect candidate or somebody that aligns with you perfectly or there may be somebody you agree with on like 10 out of 
you know, 12 things, but there's two things you don't agree with them on. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to pick and choose those battles. Like, you know, and some of those things are, are going to be bridges you can't cross. And you're going to say, I can't work for that person. I can't work with that right. person. I can't vote for that person. Um, but, you know, if the majority of the things you agree with, then you have to figure out a way to get past the few things that you don't because at the end of the day, if not, then we're going to continue to be divided, divided, divided. Yeah. And Republicans don't act like that. Right. That's they why don't. Donald Trump Absolutely. is president. So, That's why Brett right. Kavanaugh is a Supreme Court justice. Speaking of Supreme Court justice, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, Ruth Bader, she did take a fall. She broke three ribs. I was absolutely horrified when I found out the news. Like, I get it. She's an 85-year-old woman. The thing is, because she is one of our progressive advocates on the Supreme Court, it was really startling for this news. But the thing is, I was really upset, too, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but while Obama was still president, people were trying to get Ruth to step down so that Obama could put another progressive left-leaning justice on the Supreme Court. She refused. Now, a day or two after the election, when this, when Republicans have an even tighter uh, a grip and control over the Senate, this happens. Like, why did she step down a couple years ago so we could have prevented something like this from happening? Because, like, but like, no, but to me, it's like a power grab. Like, no. you have to understand. Yeah, I don't think she should have stepped down. Yeah. I don't think anybody would have told a man to step down. In they fact, did. They told, they told Robert um, Kennedy to step down. Yeah, he did. You no, know, he was already thinking about retiring, and he decided to retire. Nobody told him to step down. But either way, like, it's it would have been for the good of the country. And you're also assuming that Obama would have been able to appoint somebody. Because yeah. look at what happened with Merrick Garland. Yeah. If she would have stepped down, then maybe we would have had two seats that Trump would have gotten to fill. Those so, first two years, maybe after that, no. I'm, I'm with her. And you know what? I said this when when um, Kavanaugh, the alleged rapist, finally got confirmed. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I hope she can make it until 2020. She, but we did this. What do you mean? Elections have consequences. Yep, exactly. And that's exactly the point. What What was the text that I sent you when you sent me that message last week? I do not remember. I said, people <laughs> should have thought about that in 2016. Oh, yeah. And you wrote back what? This. Yep. This, exactly. And you know, we've talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning We're again. Better, guys. Which is, yeah, a little bit. It's it's worth mentioning again. Um, they did polls after the election when they asked Republicans and Democrats about like what the most important issue was for you when you went out and voted. Um, and especially they nailed that down trying to talk to people who um, voted for Trump who didn't like Trump. or mm -hmm. and, and they said that they went out and voted for Trump even though they didn't like him because they thought the Supreme Court was the most important issue and they knew by doing so if he won there was a possibility they were going to be able to take two maybe three court seats and that that was going to impact this country and move the court to the right for the next 50 plus years yeah. that was not the most important issue for Democrats and liberals it is not. and so, now we're suffering the consequences really quickly because we have to I move have on story. Uh, we have to move on as I mentioned at the top of the hour there's a lot going on in Thousand Oaks from the shooting to the wildfires in 10 seconds or less Stanley, how are you feeling? How what do you what can you express to the people who are, are going through this tragedy, especially in Thousand Oaks? I'm not sending thoughts and prayers. I'm fighting for gun reform, and we need to do something about climate change because we wouldn't be having so many wildfires if there hadn't been such a lack of rain and water resources in, in California. Period. Thank you, Stanley, for summing that up in a nutshell. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, look, climate change is real. It's not going away. Um, you know, guns kill people. 
uh, despite the fact that people don't want to believe that. And, you know, if people want things to get done, then we need better gun laws and we need to deal with climate change. Otherwise, people are going to keep getting killed in shootings and people are going to keep dying or being displaced um, by, you know, weather events that are only going to get worse. Uh, I did want to read one quick comment before we go to break um, from Joan Andre. This is going back to the beginning of our segment. And she wrote, damn, not, bro not Bernie. He knows better than that. He could have phrased what he was saying. Obviously, he doesn't know better than that. He's done it multiple times. Thank you um, so thank much. Thank you so much, Joan, for your comment. Absolutely, guys. So we're going to just segue right into the main event here. Are we ready? I mean, we can go on a little song break if you want. Let's do it. So, guys, since they're giving me control of the mic again, they made a big mistake. I'm going to play a song I've been listening to a lot since this album came out. It's from Metro Boomin. Um, is it Metro Boomin? Yeah, it's Metro Boomin and Travis Scott. I love this song. And you get to hear it for 10 seconds before Facebook takes us down. <laughs> That's all you get because we don't want to get taken down from Facebook. Facebook, don't take us down. Well, you know, Fair the, usage act. the is truth right? is, when we are on WHCR, we pay to be able to play music because we are a not-for-profit radio station. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, we are not on WHCR today. Um, but we will hopefully be back on WHCR next week. So next week you should be able to catch us on WHCR or on Ustream and Facebook and Instagram and everywhere. But for today, we are just on Facebook. Yeah, I'm I want so to hyped. say a quick what's up to Malcolm Thorpe, um, Natasha, and Amy. Thank you so much for jumping on Facebook Live. We hope you guys have lots of comments for this next segment, but I'm going to stop talking and let Selena do the work. Yeah, so we did it. A record, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> A record-breaking number of voters came out to the polls on Election Day and elected the most diverse Congress in our nation's history. Democrats now have control of the House of Representatives, which has been flooded with a diverse amount of women like Sharice Davis and Deb Haaland, the first Native American women to ever serve in Congress in history. Um, Ayanna Presley, Massachusetts' first black woman in Congress, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the first Muslim women to serve in Congress. Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia, the first Latinas to represent Texas in Congress. And Bronx native, shout out to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the youngest woman ever to serve in Congress. Don't forget about the rapper. That was a joke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, Antonio Delgado. I, I worked on that um, race for the last five days. Hey, Stanley. Yeah. Good job for that. Good job, Stanley. Well, good job for Antonio. But, yeah. So, in addition to that, Democrats flipped seven governorships, including hotly contested gubernatorial races in Kansas, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Plus, millions of formerly disenfranchised voters were added to the rolls thanks to Amendment 4 in Florida, which restores voting rights to convicted felons. So this victory means more than 1 million people will regain the right to vote in Florida, including 40% of all black men in that state. Wow. Now, Maryland, Michigan, and Nevada also approved ballot measures that could help expand voting in different ways, such as allowing same-day voter registration and enacting automatic voter registration. So again, two, those were more wins. But on the other hand, in the Senate, Republicans gained more seats. However, because the races in Florida and Arizona are still yet to be called, the GOP majority in the Senate could range from anywhere from 52 seats to 54 seats. 
Furthermore, voters weighed in on hundreds of ballot initiatives in this year's midterm cycle on issues from abortion to marijuana legalization to criminal justice reform. So we came out and we showed out in the polls. In this episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard, we're going to talk about these midterms, wins and losses, why and how they affect our everyday lives, and what needs to be done to not only take back the White House in 2020, but to take back our country right now. So I want to open up this discussion to Alyssa and Stanley. Uh, Stanley, what was your highlighting moment from election night? My highlighting moment, actually, it was not about a national race. It was in New York State. Yeah. Um, New York State Democrats, we controlled the assembly, the state senate, and the governorship in New York State for the first time in 10 years. And 10 years ago, it was a bit of a mess. So I'll say the first time in over 30 years. This is big. We're looking at probably getting bail reform, marijuana legalization, um, maybe single-payer health care in New York State. This is huge. I just want to Discovery shout out reform, quick. tenant protections, yeah. um, Women's Health Care Act is becoming yeah. part of an amendment. I mean, there's so many legislative priorities that we are potentially going to be able to get done right here in New York. Yeah. Um, and look, but well, silly, does that mean that this is that New York is actually a blue state? I mean, when people think of New York City, we know it's really progressive, but yeah. the state in whole, wasn't it? Right-leaning in some areas? So, yeah. So, if you go parts of upstate, it's definitely way more Republican. You'll see Confederate flags. You'll see Trump flags. All sorts of things like that. Um, so, and Republicans had a big stronghold, mostly because of real estate developers having who will give Republicans upstate a whole bunch of money to run for office to vote down voter protect, I mean, rent protection regulations in New York City. Or so that they can make them weaker so they can't use them to protect tenants. So, like, we were going up pretty much against, think of any big real estate broker or company or development company in the country, really, pumping money against us. So this is a big win. And we can talk about this more later. I don't mind, like, having a side conversation with Alyssa and you at some other point. But I just want to shout that out. Yeah, no, silly. That's your highlighting moment. Alyssa, what was your highlighting moment from election night? You know, look, my highlighting moment is the same as Stanley's. I'm just, like, just to back it up, on the overall haul, I thought it was partially an exciting night and partially a disappointing night. Um, believe it or not, the blue wave did materialize. Um, it was not a blue tsunami, um, but also there were structural problems that made it very difficult for Democrats to try and win back the Senate. And so going into it, I already sort of felt like there was not going to, that was not going to be a possibility. And so that was disappointing. And what happened in Florida was disappointing, although as we're going to talk about later on in the segment, that's headed for a recount now. What happened in Georgia with Stacey Abrams was super disappointing, although that may have its own problems that I know we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, I think my two biggest highlights um, was one, the amount of women of color that are going to Congress. Um, on the federal level, and two, the fact that here in New York we are finally going to get a true blue Senate. Um, the Independent Democratic Caucus is gone. Um, Democrats are going to control the Assembly, the Senate, and arguably the governorship, although, you know, Cuomo, eh, that's another conversation for another show. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's the most exciting thing. There was highs and there was lows and ups and downs, but yeah. overall, I, I think it was a good night for Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was, it was such an emotional roller coaster. Like I was cheering for Beto in Texas, and then Ted Cruz managed somehow to win. Stealing. I just, <laughs> Stanley says stealing. Uh, I was, 
I was emotionally invested in Georgia. I'm like Stacey Abrams, but then she didn't concede, so. Right, definitely stealing there. And then Andrew Gillum, when he did concede, I'm like, what? His well, race, now he unconceded. Right, he unconceded. But in that moment, I was really upset because I'm like, that race was even closer than Stacey Abrams. So he conceded, he walked that back, and now Bill Nelson and Rick Scott are also uh, thinking about that race also has not been called in the Senate for Florida. They're having so, a recount for the whole state now. Right, for the whole state. So, I mean, look. Things always go down in Florida, especially when it comes to uh, a very crucial election. So that was a, a highlight and a down point at some point. It was emotional for me. Uh, but I want to get to what was the biggest disappointment? Like, it wasn't just a good night. Alyssa, what was your the thing that, I guess, disappointed you most? You know, that's hard because um, it's a toss-up between Gillum, Stacey Abrams, and, and Beto. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with Beto, and here's why. When they polled people in Texas, they found that the majority of people in Texas who are Texans, who were, like, born and raised and lived their whole life in Texas, broke for Beto. Whereas the majority of people who broke for Ted Cruz were people who were not native Texans, were people who had literally moved to Texas from out of state. And that sort of goes against this narrative that a lot of people, in, or that Cruz was trying to put forth, that all the people voting for Beto were like all people who were like, you know, hipsters from New York that moved down to Austin. And like, and look, there are hipsters from New York that moved down to Austin. I actually have friends that moved from here down to Austin. Um, so th there is some truth behind that. But when you look at the actual breakdown, of the numbers and you say, well, okay, the majority of people who are Texans voted for Beto, then that tells you that there's a lot of racist, conservative people coming in from out of the state, from other racist, conservative areas of the country um, that are going for Ted Cruz. And if it was really up to native Texans, um, then, then Beto might have won that race. But, you know, that, that's one of those things where you can sort of have to be like, well, you know, people move and you know, like, yeah, there's people who are liberal that move here and people who are liberal from here that move to other states and that impacts elections. So, like, it works in both ways and you can't just, like, look at it through that lens. But I, I think that was the most disappointment for me. Stanley? Uh, Florida, Andrew Gillum. I really thought, so, for those of you who don't know, Andrew Gillum was, is the mayor of Tallahassee, Florida, and he was running for governor against um, Ron DeSantis, um, Trump's pretty much street team guy. And Andrew Gillum was up by 10 points in the polls up until the day of the election. And... He, you know, I don't know what happened to the numbers, but it fell through. And at one point, he conceded. Now they're going to have a recount because it's getting closer. But besides me just wanting the black person to win because Andrew Gillum is a brother, he's great on the issues. He's not afraid to talk about race. And then also, Florida is a state that's always shaky during presidential elections mm -hmm. yeah, because things get funny with the votes. And they're always actively trying to stop black people from getting to the polls. And that whole state does not have affordable health insurance. And you put a Democrat, a progressive Democrat in the governor's seat, and an African-American Democrat in the governor's seat, that could help to shift the power dynamics in a 2020 presidential election. Definitely. You want to have a friend there. So I'm really hoping this recount goes in our favor. Right now, the Republican Party and DeSantis are suing the state of Florida, saying that it's unconstitutional to count all the votes in the election. So <laughs> On what grounds? I, I don't quite... White supremacy, I don't know. But, yeah. um, that was a big disappointment for me. Here, here's the thing about that, just real quick, which is it's so disingenuous because if things went the other way 
and the Republican was in less than 0.2% of winning, then Republicans would no doubt be saying, we have to count all the votes. This is a democracy. We have to count all the votes. So we have to at least have this level playing field where we agree that whether the Republicans ahead or the Democrats ahead, or it might mean that the Republican might win or the Democrat might win, that we all take the position that we have to count all the votes. And the reason I say this is just to bring it back to New York for a half a second. Marty Golden, which was a race that I worked on, the Andrew Gennardis race in Bay Ridge, he said that he doesn't want to concede that election yet because there were still 3,000 outstanding absentee ballots that had not been vote counted, and he was only losing that race by about 1,200 votes. And there was people on the left, not a lot of people, but there were some people that say, oh, he should just concede he's being a sore loser. So you know what? We can't have a double standard. If we're gonna say count all the votes, then count all the votes whether we're gonna win or lose. Yeah, absolutely, so it's count. I mean, every vote should be counted. Yeah. So speaking of that, uh, I mean, we had the highest voter turnout for a midterm election in the nation's history. Approximately 114 million votes were cast in the U.S. House races, yeah. while a strong black voter turnout, along with women, Latinos, millennials, and new voters played a significant role in key Democratic victories. Were you guys surprised at all by this high voter turnout? No, everybody's no. motivated to get Trump out of the White House, <laughs> and you can't do it yet, so you gotta go out to Congress. And, and Senate, you know, we didn't get, we didn't have the right numbers to win Senate, even though we won the popular vote in, all, in the mm -hmm. Senate races. Yep. But people are motivated. I just hope that energy stays in 2020 and we sweep them out straight up. Oh yeah, Alyssa? I, I mean, look, I'm not surprised about the high turnout. I expected a high turnout, especially on the Democratic side. I am sort of a little more surprised about how many Republicans turned out. And this is sort of an interesting conversation because when they initially did looked at the numbers in this, um, they did not expect high Republican turnout, um, or they did not expect it to be as high as it ultimately ended up being. Um, and generally speaking, Republican turnout is not as high, or I shouldn't say Republican turnout, the party who is in power generally does not have very high turnout during the midterm. So if you look at, um, for example, 2006, uh, Democrats won a lot of seats in 2006. George Bush called it um, like a thumping. And then in 2010, so many Republicans turned out. We had the big Tea Party wave, mm -hmm. and Obama completely like got killed. He called it a shellacking. Um, he called it a shellacking. Um, this time, there was a lot of Republicans motivated to go out, and so that also raises an interesting question about why. Racism. Um, well, Trump. some of it is racism, some of it is Trump, but they did a very interesting study that said a lot of Republicans were motivated to go out because they were pissed off about the allegations against Kavanaugh, which means sexism is playing a very, very large role as well. Yeah, and so what, yeah, I, I think you're a thousand percent right, Alyssa, that I, this country, particularly, I guess particularly Republicans, are very angry at women for speaking up and calling out rape. And Republicans triple down on racist ads, on, on, on xenophobic ads, and on Islamophobic ads. That, that's all they had. They couldn't talk about their issues. Everyone hates the tax bill. Everyone hates them trying to get rid of, of universal health care or Obamacare. So they just started saying, in, in upstate New York, Antonio Delgado running against John Fassel, they literally had ads out that said, this guy's a rapper. That's not good for our community. Can you really trust rapping Antonio Delgado? He's a lawyer and a Rhodes Scholar. And they were talking about a rap album he put out 10 years ago to talk to kids. Which is a good rap album, by the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's bars. Let's just point that out. No, but, but Stanley, you bring up an interesting point because 
the strategies that Republicans employed to win election to win the elections was doubling down on racism and fear-mongering, uh, especially around immigration. So as a result, the strategy proved to be effective in winning white votes. So yeah. has the Republican Party become a racist party, if you don't already think it is? And because. if so, should Democrats stop trying to court white Republican voters? I mean, look, become, uh, they have been for a while since, you know, when the Democrats stopped being the racist party yeah. back in the 1960s. But, like, look, the, the caravan, which you just mentioned, is like the perfect example of this. Have you heard about the caravan this week? No. Did you hear about the caravan last week after the election? No? Exactly. The whole reason why the caravan was even mentioned in the news is because Trump was trying to gin up racist people to go out and vote because of this supposed invasion of people yep. that was yep. coming to the country. Yep. But, like, number one, this quote-unquote invasion of people um, was... One, not an invasion, as far as I'm concerned. That's that's a matter of opinion. But number two, like over 2,000 miles away from the border. Not going to be anywhere close to the border, even for the next like a month or so. And definitely we're not going to be knocking on the border at the time of the election. But in the five days or so leading up to the election, all you heard was Trump tweeting about the caravan, talking about the caravan, then of course mainstream media started talking about the caravan and everybody was like, caravan, 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 and then all these Republicans on top of being pissed off about the Kavanaugh situation and being like, screw women because we hate women yeah. who speak up, they're like, oh my god, immigrants, gotta go out to the polls, and then you know of course, not add to add to that, Trump had to add in, there might be some scary brown people from the Middle East right. in the caravans, too. And then Republicans were like, oh my God, terrorists! We have yeah. to go out and vote. But meanwhile, yeah. the real terrorists in this country are white men that shoot places up with guns. So, Philly, that being said, should, should Democrats stop trying to court white Republican voters? I think white people, I'm going to answer a question by not answering a question. I think white people need to go deal with it's their white the politicians. people. So, for all, my, for all my comrades and allies out there, I love you. My white people who have been vetted, I, I love you and I appreciate you. Don't talk to me. Go talk to your racist uncle. Because for the last two, like year and a half, two years, we've kept saying you gotta find a way to talk to white people and look what they did. Republicans tripled down on racism and white people said, yeah, I like that. So I don't know if we should totally give up on talking to white people, but what you should do is like, they need some racial education and you need to be finding ways to speak up and stand out for your black voters, your brown voters, your, your, your LGBTQ people. You need to be talking to those folks because that is your base. Black women voted 96% across the board for Democrats and for progressives. Black men, our votes are shaky sometimes, 90% across the board. Why are we only getting 60% of the Latino vote? We need to be focusing on shoring those things up and by Bernie Sanders going around pandering to his racist neighbor, it's not gonna help us. They're happy with what we have here. So, you know, Republicans are racist, duh. We need to give up on trying to save well, this party. Well, I, I don't, well, Stanley, you made a good point. And shout out to the to the white allies who have taken on that that burden or that mantle to go out and talk to white communities. Not for nothing though, I don't think we need a shout out, nor should we get one. I think we should do it because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but I am gonna give them a shout out because Fair. we need more of them to do exactly that. The thing is that, you know, besides the racist rhetoric, there were a number of policies and practices that prevented black people from voting in the midterm elections on Tuesday. Yep. So, especially in Georgia, so, um, there were a number of long lines, technical errors, 
a voting station in a predominantly black county in Maryland ran out of ballots at 4 p.m. and they were not able to get more ballots until 8 p.m. As a result, you had hundreds of people, mostly black, standing in line for hours without food, without water, just coming off from work, and they, they could not vote. Or, like, you know, a lot of them were discouraged. They would go back home because who wants to wait in there for hours on end? So I want to talk about the very real voter suppression tactics that we saw unravel right before our eyes on Tuesday. I mean, there was this one woman from Georgia who tweeted, here in Georgia, where Kemp wouldn't step down, not a single machine in our precinct works. No one has voted since 7 a.m. Hundreds of people have left. Then that woman followed up in another tweet at 11.30 a.m. saying, finally, the machines are working. Stanley, voter suppression was a very real issue in this election. How is this still happening in 2018? Republicans can only win when black and Latino people don't turn out to vote. And in the states that where Republicans control, they're pushing heavy voter suppression, which is why I was so disappointed that Andrew Gillum did not win straight up. In Georgia, they were showing up to polling sites and the machines were there and the power was on in the building, but they had no plugs. Literally, this is this is what they do. And a lot of I still have a lot of friends who did not vote this election, mm-hmm. and they didn't see the need to vote. And this is what I kind of use to get them to understand: your vote is important. Your educated vote is even more important. And if you ever have to question what your voice says, ask yourself why do they work so hard not to let you get mm-hmm. your vote out? It's not because. They don't want you to waste your time. It's because when you speak up, you usually vote for people and policies that benefit people that look like us, that benefit poor and working class people and working poor people, and they don't want that. And to add on to that, also in Georgia, uh, the investigation found that there were over 1,500 fully functioning voting machines that were locked up in the state and unused on election day. And we wonder why Stacey Abrams is not governor-elect at this moment. I mean, Alyssa? Look, look, this is not a bug. This is a feature. This is exactly how they want it. It is designed like this. It is designed so that white men who are rich and conservative can stay in power. It is designed so that the poor, the people of color, the working class do not get to have their voices be heard. Um, this is how it's designed. And if we want to change it, then the only way to do it is to beat the system, to get our people in power no matter what, to drive people to turn out, to drive people to the polls, to continue to wait in line, to not leave, to to stare in the face of the suppression and say, we are not going to allow it. Unfortunately, that also means things like Going to get an ID, even if you think you shouldn't have voter ID laws, even if we think they are racist. We saw this in North Dakota. There was a concerted effort to help all the Native Americans get the proper ID so that they can vote. Even though everybody thought and knew that the voter ID law in that state was racist and meant to target them, it was like, okay, there's a problem. We can't just complain about it. We have to come up with a solution. Um, and so like that that's what it comes down to, is we have to realize that this is not going to change because this is how they structured it. We have to figure out a way to beat them at their own game. And that's how we're going to win. Quickly. Uh, I partially agree with you, Alyssa. I'm going to push back gently, not necessarily on you, but on just some quote-unquote resistance movement. White people need to do more, and they're not doing enough. And stop with the stupid trust black women t- tweets, and stop with the, the speeches and the speaking fees. And you, why don't you go out there and to Alabama and get every single black person an ID and drive, and drive them to their polling sites and talk to your racist uncle and take some anti-racist trainings. 
because well, this is said that's what they're doing in North Dakota. No, they, I mean maybe, but like it's not happening in large enough amounts, and they're definitely not doing anti-racist trainings. Because look at these white folks who are still voting for Republicans. I think that we do need to double down and work harder. But I think white people, white allies, need to work harder on their votes because they're listening. That group is the one that consistently hurts us. In in both Georgia and Florida, they got um, DeSantis and Kemp got over seventy percent of the white vote. Yeah, after saying explicitly racist things. Yes, and then also we have to understand that it's not just voting, it's the work that comes after it. In New York State, we got a full Democratic majority across the board. I'm going to work tomorrow. Mm. You know why? Because I want to get legalized marijuana, bail reform, and rent regulations, and that takes more work. Just because they're Democrats doesn't mean they'll do what's right. Well, you That's know, um, you know, that point being said, I want to just switch gears a little bit because Despite the voter suppression, despite the long lines, we still came out and vote. Stanley gave some statistics, especially when it came to black men and black women. But, you know, millennials came out to vote. Gen Zers, people of color, a lot of them voted in the midterm elections for the very first time ever. But if you're like me, you may not be 100% sure, like, why and how that even counted. So I wanted to just give some time in a minute or less, tell everyone why and how them going to the polls on Tuesday mattered. So everybody thinks that elections are all about winning. And when you cast a vote, if your candidate loses, it didn't matter. That's not true. In a functioning democracy, when you have some, when you have a rational person who's not Donald Trump running for office, even if they win the election and you didn't vote for them, they look at those numbers and they go, wow, we lost the black vote. What do we need to do to get them? So now that forces the mother in office to be reaching out to you to find inroads, which means you now have leverage to get things that you need. And if you're not engaging in the process at all, they can ignore you. And what we need to do really is get back to the space where we don't have cycles running for president and running for office. And once we can get past that period over there, then once again, the vote, your power to vote, gives you capital and a leverage to fight for advances in your own community and your own life. Alyssa? I mean, look, I think the most important thing was that there was significant victories, and yes, there were setbacks, and we do understand that, but by the time all is said and done, Democrats will have picked up between 35 and 40 seats in the House, um, and that is the most, the largest Democratic gain in the House since 1974, which is after Watergate, um, when the party picked up 49 seats in three months after Richard Nixon resigned. Um, so, you know, look, we have to say there was places we could have done better, um, but we, we had significant victories. We're going to take over the House. There were significant victories in many of the states. Um, you mentioned this before, like millions of people, many of whom are black men, are going to be able to vote again in Florida. Um, marijuana was legalized, or they voted to legalize marijuana in Michigan. Um, they actually voted to get rid of uh, um, gerrymandering in three different states, including Utah. Um, so I, I think that we should focus on the fact, and look, there's going to be a Democrat as governor in Kansas. Kansas. Um, right. So, you know, look, we should focus on the positives. Um, we should figure out what went wrong in terms of the negatives and how we can do better there. And what we have to understand, the most important thing to understand is that Every vote matters. Your vote matters. You staying online and waiting to vote matters. You driving somebody else to the poll matters. In some of these races, in some of these recounts that we're going to see in Florida that we might end up seeing in Georgia, it may come down to just a handful of votes that allow that recount to go forward, to allow those that runoff, if it happens, to go forward. Um, 
Some people say, oh, well, what is my one vote matters? It matters. Don't stay home. Go out and vote in every single election, even if you think yeah. it doesn't matter, because it does. Um, and just some tangibles. So the fact that the Democrats control the House, what that means is that's a branch of Congress who will push back on Trump's agenda. So the fact that he's pushing xenophobia, Islamophobia, homophobia, when he tries to enact that rhetoric into policies, now we have a branch in Congress who will say no. That's one tangible. Another thing, now that Democrats control the House, they're going to gain chairmanships. So that means Auntie Maxine, yes, Rep Maxine Waters, she is poised to take over the House's Financial Service Committee. Once she has this, she's going to take down Wall Street. She has already said it. She's going to take down big banks that hurt and harm us through their policies and practices. She's going to hold those bank executives accountable. And also, she'll have the power to subpoena Trump. Remember, Auntie Maxine has been calling to impeach Trump for a while. Now she actually has some power to do that. On top of that, in states like Maine, which flipped their state senate, now Democrats will have the ability to enact Medicaid expansion that will give 70,000 low-income workers medical coverage. So again, the reason why your vote mattered is because of tangibles like this. Quickly, Stanley. No, no you actually said what I was going to say. So. Okay, so before we wrap this conversation up, uh, one thing we need to talk about really quickly is how we can keep this momentum running into 2020 so we can win back the White House and who's the best candidate to do that? I mean, Stanley, you talk really progressive. Some people say that's radical. Some people say someone who's aligned with your ideologies would not win middle America. I mean, Bernie, I was pretty aligned with Bernie on his economic issues, and a lot of people loved him. A lot of white people loved him. Um, I don't plan to vote for Bernie even if he is running again, That's particularly because of what he's done to cater for white folks. Um, I'm having open auditions right now as far as candidates go. No, <laughs> really seriously. Silly. Yeah, and like we, we all should because a lot of people are thinking about running. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, um, who else? Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Beto O'Rourke apparently is now, they're telling him he should run for office based solely off of his ability to run a, a decent campaign and raise lots of money. So we're going to have a lot of people who want to run for office. And you're, what you should be doing now is like going online reading about their record, seeing what they say on issues, and having conversations with your friends. But don't just focus on the national. Focus on your local, too. Your city council races, your district leader races, your state senator races, and your assembly races, because these races are important as well. Yeah, no, definitely. All politics is local. I agree with that. And I'll just add to what's already been said. Or One, if you're mad about something, you let that anger propel you into getting involved and, um, you know, and getting out there. Um, and it's not just voting. Right? You know, yes, we voted and that's great, but organize, 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 organize. Can I say that again? Organize. Because when I tell you this next election, 2020, is going to come up very quickly, and the more organized we are, the more able we are able to, you know, get together and get people out to the polls um, and raise money for candidates that we support, that is how we are going to win in 2020. Thank you. And basically what you just heard is that's how we keep that momentum going. I mean, for the first time ever, you know, I've been so encouraged by this midterm elections. We had two Muslim women in Congress, Latino women in Congress, LGBT, openly LGBTQ yeah. uh, uh, people in Congress. Like there was a lot of diversity there. And that diversity matters because when it comes to voting a legislation that affects us, 
they're going to be our advocates. And if they're not, we're going to hold them accountable because we're the reason why they even got in those seats. So, guys, when we show up, we win. And that's what this midterm election showed us. It wasn't a blue wave, but it was definitely a blue wall and a war. And, you know, it wasn't a tsunami, but we did get some wins. A tsunami, specific ocean, but we did get some wins. And I just want to close out by saying, let's just keep it going. 2020, that's the big one. And I have a lot of friends who told me I didn't vote in the midterm elections, but I'm definitely going to 2020 to vote against Donald Trump. And me, uh, maybe a little different from Stanley, I'm voting whoever's on that blue ticket. At this point, I learned my lesson in 2016, and whoever happens to be that Democrat, I'm voting for, and I hope that you do too. On that note, I'm just going to close out by thanking everyone who tuned in and chimed in via Facebook Live. We appreciate those comments. Everyone who's been listening via podcast, thank you. And if you guys want to continue to support Let Your Voice Be Heard, please do so on our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash beheardradio. If you make a small donation and support us, we'll continue to support the issues and causes that you care about. Thank you. Peace.